Hello, friends and enemies, and to all my friendly enemies. I'm Chelsea Nicole, and you're listening to The Slighted Show. You may be wondering why I used friends and enemies in my opening. Well, for starters, it's gender neutral. Secondly, it's exciting. Thirdly, it informs the spies in my midst that I am onto them. And lastly, it drives home the point that you are either with me or against me. And now to the point of the podcast. If this is your first time listening, on the podcast, I interview magicians about their life story. I believe everyone has a unique story, and my goal is to highlight the magician's story rather than focusing primarily on their projects. So it's Saturday afternoon, and I'm still kind of recovering from Magic Live because it's just a crazy couple of days. And I mean, I always stay like an extra day in Vegas and hang out with people the next day. So it's just been, you know, every night going out, hanging out with friends, so much fun. But I am exhausted, especially because I'm about to move to China. (laughs) So originally the plan was to actually leave Friday right after Magic Live, but my visa got delayed. So the plane got delayed until Sunday. So now I just, I'm at an Airbnb in Vegas and just hanging out and I guess getting a lot of rest right before Move to China, which I'm sure is going to be kind of crazy. Haven't talked about it yet, but now you know. Moving to China, I will be teaching English there. And I plan on continuing to interview magicians, some of it through Skype. And then some people, I mean, go there. China definitely has a magic scene. Like I was just talking to Maddie Gilbert. And August 1st through 6th, he will be in Shanghai. So I am going to do my absolute best to make sure I get over there and see him and have him back on the podcast because I haven't actually talked to him about his whole life, which I really want to do. But today I am releasing my interview with John Michael Hinton. He is awesome. And not only that, he is uh, one of my redheaded allies in the magic community. There's only like four of us, basically. (laughs) So we got to stick together. So I was totally shocked by my interview with John. I kind of went in with a lot of preconceived notions thinking like, oh, I've known John for quite a while. Like I, you know, I'm not going to be that surprised. But it turns out there's a lot of things that I had no idea about. So for example, sometimes when I meet people, I kind of put them in a box or like you meet someone and you just assume their whole backstory. So I met John who was at the time living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he's so nice, so approachable. And to me has what I would have considered like Southern hospitality. So I just assumed born and raised in North Carolina. And that could not be further from the truth. That to me, just like where he grew up and where he lived totally caught me off guard. But I don't want to give that away. So let's actually just jump right into the interview because we'll get to that pretty much immediately. I have John Hinton on the phone. What's up? I got to meet John in North Carolina at the Trix Magic Convention. And I really, uh, I'm glad to say that I can like call him my friend. This is true. Yeah. Like, and which is so great because this is also a huge part of like your stage presence. You've got the website called This Is My Friend, which I kind of love. And it kind of fits your personality pretty perfectly. That's that. That is the goal. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go ahead and start with um, where would you say that you're from? I have no idea. (laughs) I have moved around so much. Um, I was born to Arizona. Before even kindergarten, I moved and uh, to New Mexico, and then I grew up most of my, uh, well, all of my elementary years. I lived in Saudi Arabia. There's three different cities in Saudi Arabia, so 
my parents work for the oil company over there. Um, so yeah, third grade when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. So I survived a, uh, a scud missile landing within a mile of my house. I, uh, was in a drive-by terrorist shooting. So kind of your normal childhood. Whoa. <laughs> I can't, I, okay. I'm honestly shocked right now. I had no idea. Like this is all like completely new information for me. This is yeah. mind blowing. Wow. It explains a few things. You're like, so that's why he's the way he is. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, in high school, I lived in Rolla, Missouri, um, in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. Um, we were, our town was literally the bathroom stop. Like that's kind of how they advertise themselves between <laughs> St. Louis and Springfield. Wow. Um, so I couldn't wait to get out of there. And then I went to college in California. I've lived all over the place. So now I live in North Carolina, which I never, if you would have told me that, I would have said you're lying. Uh, but uh, no, Charlotte's pretty cool. So I, yeah. Okay. To be honest, I'm really shocked. I just kind of like assumed you were like born and raised in North Carolina just because <laughs> I feel like a lot, I don't know, like a, a lot of times when you meet people from North Carolina, they're like from there. So I just assumed. Right. I did pick up y'all because y'all make sense. It does. Um, that's just a good word. <laughs> it so. is. Yes, I agree. 100%. Totally. Let's backtrack because there's a whole lot that you just said that I'm like, okay, there's so much to cover. <laughs> so many interesting things that I had no idea. So all right, let's go back to Saudi Arabia. What did you say the mm-hmm. ages were that you lived in Saudi Arabia? Uh, what did you say that one more time? Um, what, how old were you? Like what age to what age did you live in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, so I moved there at the end of first grade and I left at the end of eighth grade. Um, and I moved three times in three different cities. Um, we were, we lived in oil compounds, which like the first one was a two mile by two mile radius where we didn't basically go outside that compound and had everything we needed. Kind of like if you vision a uh, military compound, but instead of all the military stuff, it's a bunch of oil brats. So. Gotcha. So, so you, in a lot of ways, you still kind of were being raised with, like, American culture then? Oh, yeah. They called it, like, mini America, Disneyland. Um, <laughs> like, it was it was kind of like a throwback to the 1940s, 1950s. <laughs> My friends rode bikes all around. We rode our bikes down to the pool, you know, like, so, like, once maybe once a month, we would go outside the compound and experience real Saudi culture. Um, it wasn't until the last year I lived in Saudi that I actually lived inundated in Saudi culture. Okay. And so was that like kind of for like safety reasons to stay? It's just, that was all that was there in the desert. Like they literally set up this compound so that they could drill oil. Uh, And so all these Americans and Europeans and Saudis lived out on this compound for the purpose of getting oil. Gotcha. Okay, so, like, what, like, how many people do you think, like, was it, like, a a decent amount of people, or was it really tiny, like, everyone knew uh, everyone? I mean, it was a decent amount of people, but, um, I mean, I had, like, I think 20 kids in my grade level total, okay. maybe 30, so, yeah, first, that was first through ninth grade, um, so, but, yeah, um, in third grade, it it got much smaller because uh, the beginning of third grade is when Saddam attacked Kuwait and then like mass exodus of people scared that he was going to, you know, invade and kill us all. Um, but uh, with my, my family stayed and um, we hung out with U.S. troops every day. So it was kind of Oh, fun. wow. Really? So like did the U.S. troops share the compound? 
Uh, they didn't share it, but they were kind of camped all around it, um, the 82nd Airborne. And so we'd have them over to dinner like two or three times a week, just, you know, so they could kind of get off their, get out of their base. And they had nothing to do except for train and wait for the war to start. So we were yeah. like, come hang out with us. Okay, gotcha. So w- tell me about the year where you actually like experienced like Saudi culture. Yeah, so um, the first first two places I lived was Abqaiq and Dahran, which are both oil compounds. And then Jeddah is um, in the western province. And we moved there like we that was we moved completely into Saudi culture. Um, everything that we need to do, you know, you had to go out. Um, and what's interesting also about in the eastern province, people, Saudis like Americans, it seems. And I could be wrong. I mean, it, this was so many years ago, so mm-hmm. I'm sure Saudi Arabia is different now. But um, in the eastern province, it was definitely a, hey, welcoming to Westerners. They, they liked us. Uh, in the western province, because we were so close to Mecca, um, it was kind of like, ooh, you're kind of trying to comment upon our holy city. We need you to back up. Uh, yeah. Sort of feeling. So, I mean, Saudis were nice, but... Um, just, (laughs) there was definitely different things preached in their mosques, uh, in the Western province against Americans than, um, in the Eastern province. Oh, okay. And where were you again for that? Um, more Eastern or? First through sixth grade, uh, I lived in the Eastern province. Uh, the last year and a half, I lived in the Western province in Jeddah, near South, near Mecca and all that. So we were an hour away from Mecca. Wow, that's crazy. So, did you? Is the language Arabic? Yeah, yeah, but everybody speaks English. Oh, really? Uh, they Saudis are really smart. They're some of the best. I mean, if you think about the the you know Indian spices and all those things, and you know the best traders in the world, um, the best businessmen in the world are often Saudis. Uh, okay, <laughs> doing business forever, so they all learn English so that they can trade with everybody else. Okay, gotcha. So that wasn't really like. Uh... Nah. <laughs> I know. I know enough to cuss you out in Arabic, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> As a good expat, it does. Uh, so. <laughs> Did you like make friends then with people that were Saudi, like like kids your age that were Arabs? Not really. I mean, they kind of they kind of keep you separated on purpose. They they don't want you influencing their culture. Okay. Like they're more than willing for you to come and live there and work for them and help make the money, but they kind of keep to themselves and want you to keep to yourself. Gotcha. So. Okay, so tell me about the more dangerous things that happen. Yeah, so in third grade, um, this was during the Gulf War, carried a gas mask to school every day and oh everyone God. was scared that Saddam was going to gas us the same way he did the Kurds. And uh, yeah, let's see, I had a like I said, a Scud missile landed within a mile of my house. Um, and then, actually, that's part of the place that I started doing, really doing magic. My dad's hobby has always been magic. And uh, the troops were literally doing nothing for two or three months. It was part of Desert Shield versus Desert Storm, if you actually look in the history of there. But um, they were kind of bored. So we did 21 troop shows. So we literally traveled. <laughs> it was my dad, me, my sister, and my mom. My sister ran the little boom box, you know, eighties, nineties boom box. My mom brought little things back and forth. And I remember I always performed zombie, uh, in the middle of the desert in tails as a third grader <laughs> in a picture, a little redheaded kid in tails with a zombie ball 
in front of a bunch of U.S. soldiers um, with machine guns, you know? Yes. Um, that's awesome. Rifles. I'm sorry, rifles. Uh, but they, uh, yeah, so um, one time when we were, we had just finished doing a magic show and we were hanging out afterwards with the troops, just kind of giving them some encouragement. Um, I remember we heard some pop, 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 pop outside and it was terrorists driving by and trying to shoot up the compound. And I still remember my mom grabbed me and threw me and my sister under a table, jumped on top of us. And from underneath my mom, I saw the 82nd Airborne guys running out the doors to, you know, confront whoever was shooting at them. And I remember thinking, shouldn't you be under the table? Like, it's not safe to run out those doors. Uh, but honestly, that's when I, I realized what a real hero was, you know. It's like, no, nah, we're going to protect you guys. And we're wow. going gonna to make sure everything was good. So Wow. Yeah, you've had a real that's, – that's crazy. That's, yeah. yeah, I remember coming back to the U.S. in ninth grade, and I would talk to people, and I'm just like, what? You don't, <laughs> you, you have so much less experience. Like, I, I wanted to, like, shake some of my peers and be like, get over yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. this is a big deal. Well, what uh, about, like, do you think, though, I mean, how, like, I feel like some people get PTSD from that. <laughs> I mean, does that, like, ha- did was there ever, like, a, point where you had to like kind of deal with that or was it more like that was just a part of your life and it not I mean I don't know like yeah. any I don't know anxiety from that or my parents are really cool you know so they they just explained yeah we're in the normal war zone <laughs> you know it was kind of but besides the thing half like besides the bomb and the terrorist shooting and carrying a gas mask to school like I really didn't understand what it meant to be gas I just knew I had to carry this dumb thing to school you know that's okay. what you look like an alien um so I kind of rolled with it. Like we did a bomb drill, I remember in third grade, and we all thought it was amazing because we all got to go in the girls' locker room and eat Oreo cookies. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, that's as much as my brain could handle. So right, um, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it definitely drew my family close closer together. Because when you go through a war, it's you know it it definitely draws you closer together. But um, honestly, it was really fun because I got all these eighteen to twenty-two year old guys who wanted to hang out with me. Uh, and like we would go and do magic shows for these guys and then um, my boy scout troop would come along and we'd all play football in the desert you know like yeah and they, they also were cool because they were Americans who had American candy and to us that was awesome so uh, yeah <laughs> American, yeah American candy is like cigarettes in jail like, <laughs> yeah. it's like the best thing to trade over there so <laughs> that's funny so okay so you left Saudi Arabia in about, you said ninth grade? Yeah, ninth grade, I came back to Missouri. So I went from Arab to Hick. Yeah, uh, which is like so crazy to me. Like that sounds kind of terrible. It was it was interesting. Um, I mean, but so I traveled every year. We traveled the world, literally. Um, since we were worked for the oil company, they would send us on a, um, a month-long vacation with four first-class round-trip tickets around the nice. world. Nice. Wow. Um, and so my parents wouldn't buy first class tickets. They would buy coach tickets and take us everywhere. Um, so by the time I got to um, ninth grade, I'd literally seen the world. I'd been all over Asia, all over Europe. And then I came to uh, <laughs> to Rolla, Missouri, where, you know, some of the kids hadn't been outside of Missouri. Right. Um, and I remember my sophomore year of high school, somebody, my, my uh, social studies teacher said, hey, how many of you all have been to the ocean? And I was confused by the question. I, I, was, I was like, which ocean? Like, <laughs> and he said, any. And I said, well, I've been to the Red Sea, Dead Sea, Atlantic, Pacific, 
Mediterranean? Like, what are you? I'm confused. And then I looked around and I was like, sure, of course I've been to the ocean. And I looked around and I was one of three people out of a class over 30 that was raising their hand. And I was like, okay, I don't get these people. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like, that would be such a, almost like a culture shock, especially to be like that well-traveled by that age. And then to go to a small town, like, that would be crazy. I mean, to get out of Missouri or misery, as I called it back then. Yeah. I mean, like, I, even the city I grew up in, which is a lot bigger, like, when I would travel and leave the country, people would be like, what? And I'm like, like, like it's like almost even, I've had people that get surprised even from the city I was from, which kind of blows my mind when I would travel. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... Yeah, the bigger you travel, the smaller the world becomes, the more you realize people are people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, the more you travel, the less racism, the less all that is is out there, so... Oh, I agree. Especially because you start to understand more cultures. Like, I think traveling is like the best thing anyone can do for themselves. Yeah. Like, to save up and go places and experience like a different culture and stuff. Especially where I grew up. Um, like, there was Americans. My best friends were from Nigeria. And we celebrated the differences in people. It wasn't like, oh, you have black skin. Oh, you have this color skin. It was, oh, so you're black. So what does that mean? Tell me about that. You know, it was yeah. cool. It was it was freeing, not like, oh, we can't talk about how we're different. It was like, no, we're going to celebrate how we're different. Right. So, Yeah, that's really cool. So what's your favorite country you've ever traveled to? Oh, that's really hard. I know. Um, <laughs> I love big cities. So, I mean, I love I love Paris and um, I love New York City and I love like all the big cities. But um, also, I love uh, Italy. Um, and yet I, I have this love affair with Asia, too. So... Ah, it's so hard. Um, it's like it's like saying, "What's your favorite food?" Well, I, you know, my favorite Asian food is this. My favorite Mexican dish is this. My favorite, you know, French dish dish is this. So it's it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I have to usually like when I talk about traveling, I have to like think about like something more specific. So I'm wondering, like, I'm trying to think. Maybe is there something you've seen that was like historical or whatever, like a site that you've been to that was like the most like that really just kind of was really like awe-inspiring for you or that really maybe yeah you know I love to sit in places that if you looked around you would know like it mattered but um I remember like when I was 17 I was or 18 I was sitting in the Hermitage in uh St. Petersburg Russia and you know that's where the Bolshevik revolutionaries uh stormed and started communism and um we just sat on the steps that they ran up and, you know, if you would have just walked around the museum looking at Van Gogh's and Rembrandt's and everything like that, you you would know unless you actually stopped and read that this is the this is the steps that the Bolshevik revolutionaries ran up. And just to sit on those steps and just to take in the history of the moment, like that's that's more how I do when I travel. So that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I've had a couple experiences similar and I I didn't get to start traveling till I was older. And my first trip, I did a month in Europe. And I really loved um, Sophocles and like Oedipus the King. And so I just went out of my way to go to Athens, Greece and to go see the Dionysus Theater, which is like really tiny. And I remember just sitting there being like, this is so cool. And I think the only, my only negative thing is that I really wanted to share that experience with someone. And so like I had traveled alone. And it's really cool to, like, see cool sites, like, with another person and, like, experience that. But, yeah. Well, and, like, 
so right now, you know, I travel all over the United States and even sometimes outside the country, uh, you know, doing magic. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, it's just so cool to travel. I'm like, I'm by myself. So mostly I see a lot of hotel rooms and a lot of venues. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I, I fly in, I drive to the hotel, I make sure everything's ready, I drive to the venue. I do my thing, I drive back to the hotel, I drive out, and I fly out. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> I don't stop and be a tourist. It's, I'm working, and so that's, I mean, that's how I feel. It, I, whenever my wife does get to come with me on trips, she even, like, no, we're going to stop and experience this place. And it's like, okay, I'll do it with you, but when you're by yourself, it's just so hard. Yeah, it is. I think, yeah, I think it's hard to, like, experience stuff. But do, how does your wife get to come with you, like, often or not so much, or...? She did for a while until we had a, we have an eight month old now. So it's mm -hmm. a little harder for her to travel. How <laughs> so many? Maybe in the future. I thought you, so do you have two kids? I have three kids Three now. kids, okay. I have, a, I have a 10 year old, an eight year old, and an eight month old. Okay, gotcha. Okay. I, I, I knew you had more than one. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but I haven't met your wife and kids yet, so, um, yeah, yeah that's. they don't come to magic conventions. Right. Um, I, I like them. It <laughs> makes sense. It <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. It's magic convention life is an interesting life. <laughs> it is. I love it. I'd um, love it too. Yeah. It's because I, I don't mind geeking out. But even I, I even have to take breaks. Yeah, like, for sure. Okay, let's talk about something besides magic for a little bit, please. Yeah, um, totally. You totally. allowed to say that on the magic podcast? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean... Like, most of the time when I'm doing the interview, like, I kind of focus a lot on, like, the person's life and then transition to magic because I think a lot of people forget to ask those questions and they go straight to your career. And I think it's really interesting to get to know people and, like, their life. Like, I can't believe I've never talked about this with you before. Like, I'm, like, so shocked about, like, Saudi Arabia. And then, like, you were in a tiny town in Missouri, which I'm, like, that's crazy. Um, yeah. Well, let's actually go I want to hear a little bit about college like you said you went to California where at in California um Redding California it's the last biggish city before you get to Oregon okay so yeah mm -hmm. it's like super north north Cal culture which a lot of people when I think they think of California they think of SoCal yeah 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 which is you know beaches and yeah Venice Beach and all that but North Cal culture is so different and it's definitely a really I think it's the best part of California um so and it yeah, gets cold there. there too. Like it can. Is it not often? It's, it's super rainy. Super, super rainy. rainy. Okay. Or but also it has like one of the best. Um, like Shasta is one of the best uh, snowboarding parks in the world. So. Oh, yeah, that's what's oh. great about California, though, is it it has all the different um, all the different elements within like you know two hours of driving. So. Right, because you can drive up into like the mountains and stuff. Right, you can be in the. You can literally be in the, um, in the mountains, the desert, and the beach Pretty. all within one day. I so. do – like, I really like that about California. Like, I always thought when I left Florida, my I wanted to move to California because I was like – but I also wanted to go to Southern California because I don't like the cold. So yeah. – because I'm pathetic. Um, <laughs> just want that warm <laughs> weather. All Yeah. I, yeah. It's – yeah. And, I moved, and I've just done my first year outside of Florida in Boise, Idaho, and they were like uh – this winter was so mild. And I was like, this was the worst thing ever. Like, was, the first time I drove in snow, I was, like, about to cry. I was so scared. I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, my parents thought it was hilarious. I'd send them pictures. And they they thought it was so funny because they grew up 
in snow. So they were like, they just were like, it's good experience for you. Took you long enough. Like, (laughs) so yeah. Um, so when you were in California going to college, what, like besides magic, did you have any like hobbies you were into? Like what were some of the things you like to do? Free time. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm just somebody who likes to hang out with friends. Like mm-hmm. it's, you want to go to in and out you want to get a burger, you want to go to the movies. Um, I mean, I love movies. Uh, actually, I didn't realize that movies were my hobby until my, uh, I was dating my wife and my <clears throat> now mother-in-law said, well, John watches a lot of movies mm-hmm. and I just, I mean, I love cinema. I love, uh, you know, kind of, I, I'm not huge on all the super, super artsy movies, which some people, I think, like, if your movies are your hobby, you have to love all the weird stuff. And, I mean, I like some of the weird stuff, but sometimes just like, yeah, you're trying to be, you're trying to be weird, just be weird, and that's fine, but that's not me. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay, so, actually, I have a good question about movies, Um, because my friends and I like to ask, like, try and figure this out. Like, we, our question that we would answer is, what are your favorite, um, like, you can pick, like, three movies that are your most favorite to like rewatch that you would watch over and over so not necessarily your favorite but like something you could watch yeah oh um is it cheesy to say the prestige um no no the prestige is good i love christopher nolan i love christian bale i love hugh jackman so um (laughs) that's yeah um prestige um oh shoot i don't know uh i always I think there's so many movies out there that I always look for new ones. Um, I mean, I love About Time. If you've seen <gasps> that one, just because. Oh my god! Yes, that's so good. It covers all the human relationships. Yes. so beautifully in one movie. It is okay. I like that movie is so good. Like, that's my okay. That's one of my probably most rewatched movies. But I like to watch it by myself because I always cry, and I don't like to necessarily <laughs> cry in front of people. So it's like once a year I like watch About Time and like, oh, that's so good. And then, of course, all the Christmas movies I watch every single year because I'm a huge Christmas movie person. Like, okay. I have to, I have to see Elf. Elf, yeah. See it's a Wonderful Life. I have to see all those. So, God, nice. Okay, those are good. I like, I like your answers. Okay, let's talk a little bit about magic. So, I know you mentioned like doing magic shows as a kid with your dad when you were in Saudi Arabia. Yep. Um, I guess, uh, when. Do you think you start, like, what, maybe, like, what age were you, like, maybe making money for? Like, were you doing any shows, like, in college? I did some in college. Um, I mean, I grew up, my dad and I thought we did magic um, semi-professionally, as my dad would always say. We are semi-professional magicians, and we have cards just like every other magician thinks they are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is that that bad to say? Um, No, uh, yeah. But it was was definitely... It was different moving um, to college from Missouri to California because I'd only ever dipped in apparatus uh, parlor magic, and um, so we, you know, we didn't have all the all the props. I couldn't take them on the plane, and so when I moved to California, all I had was cards and coins, and you know, so I that's when I think I started actually getting serious about sleight of hand and um, and stuff. But it probably wasn't until I was in my twenties that. I started just doing shows that people would find out, you know, hey, you're a magician. Can you come do this? Sure. I'll make a hundred bucks here. And I'll, you know, like, right, right, right. Uh, sure. That sounds fun. Or, you know, I, I would, it's interesting when you're a hobbyist versus a professional and neither one is better than the other, but it's just definitely a different approach. Like 
I think hobbyists do a lot more phantom shows than they would ever do a real show. And they'll do like 50 phantom shows, like where they run through the show in their head and it feels like it's a real show. Uh, Wait, let me pause you for a sec. I don't know what a phantom show is. Does that mean you're... A show you do in your mind. Okay. Um, But you don't... Sorry, I I heard that uh, a term from a friend of mine. Uh, Because she was like, so wait, are we talking real shows or phantom shows? Because I think when we're ready, when we're trying to think about doing a show, we do a phantom show in our head, and somehow we forget that that wasn't a real show later. And so when somebody's like, oh, how many shows do you do a year? And we're like, oh, I do so many shows a year. When actually the truth might be like three. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But in your mind, you did, I mean, or you spent so many hours thinking about this show and pouring into the show. And I think when I was a hobbyist, like, that's what I did. You know, I poured into my shows and I was like, I would be thinking about my show that I was going to be doing in three months or five months, you know, like <laughs> it was, everything was, oh, and, and when I do this and it, your phantom shows are always better in your head. Than yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. Okay. So, every phantom show, you get a standing ovation. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> Um, what was your major in college? Uh, communication. And what was your, like, so when you graduated college, did you go into like, I guess a different career before pursuing magic full time? Yeah. So the things I love the most in this world are, uh, my God, my family, and then magic. So, Mm -hmm. um, I actually was a youth pastor for five years. Okay. Um, and, um, then, um, sort of a missionary-ish type role in uh, Paris, France for a while. And then we moved back trying to figure out what to do. And that's when we went full-time into magic. What's Wait, where did you say you were a missionary at? I didn't hear. In Paris, France. Paris, France. Okay, gotcha. I thought you said Harris and I was like, I don't know. Okay, so you were, that's cool. So how long did you live in Paris for? Um, I expected to move there and just live there the rest of my life. And then it turned out to be 15 months. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it was... It was long enough to learn a language, uh, uh, how to, you know, sort of speak it, and then be able to lose all of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I know how French grammar works, but I have no vocab. (laughs) So um, at the time that you moved to Paris, were you married? Yeah, I was married with two kids. So you had two kids as well. Okay. Um, Gotcha. And, And then you moved back and then you decided at that point to pursue magic full time. So mm-hmm. how old were you? And then kind of like, what did that look like for you pursuing uh, magic? So I did it the wrong way. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you want to become a professional magician, you should do it when you are, you know, like in your early twenties and you can bum off somebody's couch. Um, yeah. <laughs> because at the beginning, you know, you take any gig you can get. And I mean, the old, jokes about like what's the difference between a pizza and a a, and a magician is one can feed a family of four the other one's greasy and does car tricks Um, (laughs) that's kind of true you know and um so yeah i was i was 32 when i started trying to become a professional magician um with two kids in tow and a wife um and it's really hard to support two kids and a wife on that so the only way we could do it honestly is we moved in with my parents for a year um and two years later after moving into my parents house for a year um <laughs> we we finally were able to support ourselves and move out and start doing this um but yeah it's pretty humbling to be able to be a full adult have kids 
have a full career and then say, hey, mom and dad, can I start a new career and move in with you? Um, so it yeah, was, for sure. It's super humbling. But I mean, it, it, it what is uh, my friend Brent Braun always said, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So. Yeah, that's yeah. Very true. Uh, where did your parents live in Charlotte? Is that how you ended up in Charlotte? Exactly. Okay. So like when we wanted to, when we were, my wife and I were talking about if we want to do this, you know, and of course how much travel it would take. We were like, we need to park you by somebody's family. Um, and her parents lived in Northern California and my parents lived in Charlotte at the time. Um, still do. And, uh, California is a lot more expensive Mm -hmm. than Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to Charlotte and yeah, that, and now we've been living here five years. Um, we thought we'd maybe live here a year and then move, but, um, we kind of fell in love with Charlotte. So, well, that's good. I'm glad that that kind of like worked out and that you guys like Charlotte. Yeah. I, I don't know if I if I if I know if I get the South. Um, Southern people are super nice, but I just don't know if I get the South. But Charlotte isn't really the South. Um, maybe Charlottesians would disagree with me, but um, there's not many people in Charlotte that are from Charlotte. Right. Yeah. Charlotte's kind of like that up and coming city where you've got a lot of people that have like moved there for sure. Yeah. There's so many people from Ohio and New York and New Jersey and Florida here that either were trying to yeah. get away from Florida heat or get away from snow. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's got a more like temperate climate. So, uh, yeah, I agree with what's so, it's so funny. Cause it's like, I met you and you're very nice and I don't like, I would have thought you were Southern. <laughs> I just thought like, <laughs> but you're like genuinely nice for sure. But it's just so funny. Cause I like, sometimes if you don't ask questions, you kind of like you, your brain just fills in all the gaps for you. Uh-huh. So I'm uh-huh. like, he's from North Carolina and some people are like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. Well, it would, I mean, like my family, I have a ton of family from North Carolina. Like my mom's side of the family is all from North Carolina, so they're all really Southern. And so I, yeah, definitely didn't know. <laughs> so funny. Um, let's see here. So, okay. So five years ago, you started pursuing magic full time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And let's go a little more into detail about like, so you're taking all the gigs that you can. Like, w- did you have... I got so many questions about that. Um, let's see. Okay, I have... Okay, first question. What uh, Was there a point, uh, like, in your career of doing magic, when you've switched over, where it was hard and you thought that you might, like, give up and, like, do something else? Yeah, I think that was yesterday. Um, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I, you know, I actually was talking to a guy literally two days ago, uh, no, two different guys, two different days ago that both want to become professional magicians. And, you know, both of them, I think we're looking for a formula or like, how do you do it? And I mean, <laughs> I told one of them, I said, dude, there's no formula. And if you find one, um, tell me, but if somebody's trying to sell you a class on one, then run. Like, because yeah. they're totally scamming you. You want to just burn your money, um, or extreme burn your money. <laughs> uh, that's not such a, that's a joke he said, not me, but I did quote him. So it's my fault. Um, <laughs> But, but no, um, it, you know, it's, it's so hard and it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing to get into. Like some people like, so do you have contacts already? I'm like, not really. So, and, um, honestly you have to, I was talking, uh, to another friend, uh, we were all hanging out at 4F and I was talking to somebody who, uh, it, she, she's a full-time uh, magician as well. And I said, you know, how do you get into this? What do you think? Cause people ask me this all the time. And she said, you know, you have to be willing to work way too hard 
and you have to get lucky. Mm. Like that's, you have to get lucky. And um, also something we talked about was this happened to both her and me is you have to find people that want to discover you. Mm -hmm. Um, There are, there are certain people out there that are in positions of power that have the ability to discover people and they love discovering new talent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you can find those people and it's, I mean, you might have to be discovered like five to 10 times and you kind of have to play into that, which is, I mean, it's not lying. It's not deceiving them. It's just being, yeah. I mean, just being real with them and being like, yeah, you know, my name's not really out there or your name might be out there with, with, with this genre of people, but not, you know, with this group of people. And so they get to discover you for their friends and for their network. Um, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> it, it, I was talking to somebody about, um, Eric Chin on America's Got Talent mm-hmm. and if you watched his uh, intro video he said that he does a book he's just been performing for six months and he's brand new and he's just coming off of winning Asia's Got Talent which I'm pretty sure don't quote me on this but I'm pretty sure has a bigger viewership than AGT um, <laughs> you know and he's he just won Asia's Got Talent and he just won FISM but he's only been performing a little bit it's because AGT wants to feel like they discovered him um everybody there's these people out there that want to they want to discover people and you have to just be ready sir when you meet those people and be working so hard and some of those people totally totally pan out and then some of those people you you do one show and you think man this is it it's gonna blow up and it doesn't Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. and i think too i mean that's true with first of all like any career that's like that's kind of like some form of like performance or um uh I don't what well, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Like I mean if Entrepreneur. you're um not that more like okay like being a magician you're having to put yourself like on st- you have to sell yourself. Like so you have to have I mean something that you're bringing to the table that's new and different and unique which is so hard like to, I think that's alone, like developing your own voice that's different from everyone else. I mean, like, that's true for any, like, you know, singer songwriter, right? Like, there's a lot of people that are talented that can play the guitar and sing, but it's like, you're not going to make it unless you have something original. And so I see yeah. that, like, as I become friends with magicians and watching people, like, work really hard to get where they're going. I mean, part of it, too, is just, like, finding a way to, like, stand out from everyone else because there's a lot of people, you know wanting to make it so yeah well i think all of us you know as magicians we talk so much about character and how important character is and then when we get a magic book that actually might talk about character we just want to read the tricks <laughs> um, uh, but also i mean finding your character like i think when at least five years ago if you would ask me that question i would have tried to describe the character i wanted to be mm-hmm. and um i even again i was talking to this guy a couple days ago and i said dude as good as you are, and he's just, he's about to be on Fool Us next, next season, um, and it's like, as good as you think you are, unless you're doing your show day in and day out, and not phantom shows, doing your show day in and day out, you don't know who you are, mm. and I don't know who I was, like, five years ago, I thought I knew my character, I thought, oh, my character wouldn't do that, how did I, I, I didn't know, I, I, I was basing on other people's characters that I liked, mm-hmm. but when you start performing over and over and over, you just realize I enjoy doing it this way mm-hmm. and people re- enjoy me doing it this way. So that's who I am. Yeah. Um, so how much do you think is 
true to who you are? Just like, I mean, this is kind of like an abstract question, I guess, but like, like, so, okay, let me give an example of what I'm thinking. Like I went to watch, um, my camera show and he had definitely a persona on the stage where he, he was, I mean, he came across as like really like cocky, maybe even like arrogant and, so I was like intimidated to meet him because I was going to get to meet him after the show. And he was so nice and like just a totally different person. So that's obviously part of his character. And so I'm curious on um, like when you were developing sort of like your your stage presence, like do you think you're being someone different than who you are like day to day or do you think it's pretty close? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. I think there's two different approaches. Like just the magic dragon is not that way. Right. You know, <laughs> I met him at Magic Live when he was just hanging out with with his with his girl at TJI Fridays, and he's totally cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that approach where you put on a character, um, like my friend who's Lucy Darling. She, she puts on that character, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also like I try to be authentically me. A, maybe per, a personified me but like I just try to be me on stage because mm-hmm. um, I, I think there's two different approaches if you're going to do character you have to be if you're going to be a character that, that, not to get confused the terms but if you're going to be a character go for it and but you have to be fully committed and honestly you have to be a really good actor mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I'm that good of an actor <laughs> so for me I just I want to be me on stage just in more like the interesting parts of myself mm-hmm. on stage. Um, and I mean, that's kind of when I came up with the whole John is my friend thing. Um, it's just, that's who I am. And I like people like I, some people don't like people. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I, I, I saw um, in and of itself. Um, and afterwards I was, I was talking to Derek and I was like, I asked him if he'd be my friend. And he said, that's weird, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, really? He said, why do you ask people to be your friends? I said, because I genuinely like people. He said, huh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's totally cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that's that's who I, like, if I meet you, I want I want to know, I want to know who you are. I, I genuinely like people. Yeah, So. yeah. I, and that's what I kind of assumed by, I haven't, I've not actually seen, like, you on stage, but I've definitely seen you perform Magic, and I've seen some clips, and I've seen Fool Us, And so I was, I kind of assumed, and I I think I agree with you. I think some people, like, they kind of highlight the best parts of themselves and they're, like, more themselves on stage than the people have a character. And so I kind Mm -hmm. of, yeah, it seemed like that makes a lot of sense. Um, Okay, so I have a question for you that I feel like you're going to be like, oh, I want you to, okay, I want you to answer this question because I think it's fair and true for you. Um, So um, at what point in your career, do you feel like you made it? And I don't mean like, I know you're not, I know you're, I know you still have plenty of ways to grow, but like where you were like, I'm good. I'm going to keep, like you knew, like you felt good, like that you wanted to keep going and. Yeah. Um, you know, probably around year three, Mm -hmm. people started responding to my show differently. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to explain, but literally I was doing the same tricks that I've done for the last three years. I mean, there was a couple of new tricks in there, but mostly I was doing the same tricks. But suddenly people started responding to me different. Um, 
remember uh, one way to like kind of explain it is forever, every t- for la- those first three years, people would say, oh my goodness, I love magic. After my show, they come up to me like, oh, I saw this one person on AGT, or I saw this one person mm-hmm. on Fool Us, or I saw this one person. And I mean, they were just trying to relate to me, but inside I would die a little bit. Like, you just saw my show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you're talking about somebody else. <laughs> and that's when that switch happened, people started responding to me differently, but also people would come up to me after the show and think, why haven't you been on AGT? Why haven't you been on Fool Us? And there was that switch of, oh, I, I remember that I saw this other guy that was better than you, to, I don't understand why I haven't seen you on these shows. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think a lot of that was simply, be, like what I said earlier, I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. I Like, you, I thought I was this character, but especially if you're not putting, if you're not becoming a certain character, for me, being fully comfortable with my skin, you, you can't figure that out until you've just done hours of shows. Um, and nobody likes that. Um, but um, the, the fastest way to get where you want to go is slowly, you know? Right. Um, and it, you have to, you just have to perform and perform and perform and then you realize, oh, wow, that felt really good. What, why did that feel really good? Or, because I think sometimes people are just like, oh, they love me tonight. No, you have to understand why they loved you or they're not going to love you again. Right. Uh, I mean, Steve Martin in his book, Born Standing Up, he said, um, anybody can be really good one night. Anybody. But to be really good every single night, that's, that's what the, you're professional. Right. Right. That makes sense. So did you ever have, like, what would be... Do you have, have you had an experience like at, during a show that would like went really really badly like just like everything went wrong and any experiences of that just like kind of like bombing on stage? <laughs> this isn't exactly bombing, but um, so I three times one of one of my uh, one of my clients is a company that em- employs sixty percent of Amish people. Okay, <laughs> and Amish people apparently love magic. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you don't know my show. I remember when he first called me up, um, I always perform with a live video camera on stage because I do close-up magic for the stage. And so they called me up. I'm like, wait, you know I do magic, right? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, you know I do magic with a live video camera. And he's like, oh, no, that's fine. I'm like, okay. Um, but this, <laughs> the other thing about Amish people you have to realize, and now that I've done three shows with them, I'm fine. But um, Amish people in their culture, religion, or whatever, they're not supposed to show outward of public emotion. Oh. So literally every time I did a trick, it would be met with very polite golf claps. <laughs> because literally they can't they can't show public emotion. After the show, private emotion's fine. So like I had one guy who literally was sitting in the front row the entire time just give me golf polite golf claps. And then after the show he came up to me and he was like, Oh my goodness, da, 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 da. like he's like can I touch you? Are you in real? Like, that was amazing. I'm like, where were you during the show? Mm. Like, you know, and so the entire show, I felt like I was bombing um, until afterwards I realized, oh, you're just, you're literally not allowed to show this, this public emotion. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so I actually do have two <laughs> questions that people submitted. Um, okay. Do you, do you have like an opinion on YouTube magic and basically teaching magic online. Do you think that's like right or wrong or yeah? Any thoughts on that? I love YouTube magic and I love teaching um, 
classic magic online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, YouTube magic is its own genre now, and I think people are starting to recognize that. Um, and so saying, oh, you couldn't do that in the real world. You're right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, no, it's true. It's a different thing. It's a totally different, like, platform. As long as you're not, as long as you're not using camera edits, totally about YouTube magic. If it's like, well, you can only see it from this one angle. Awesome. I want to see it from that one angle. That looks so cool. You know? <laughs> like, I love YouTube magic. Um, and teaching magic online, as long as it's not somebody's market effect, like, mm-hmm. that's a whole different thing, right? That's, right. that's just stealing. Um, but if I could find it in Expert the Card Table, or I could find it um, in, I mean, any of the, the classics, why not? What's the difference between learning online and learning um, at a library? Yeah, agreed. I, and it, to me, I think it's actually helping our art so much because it's making it accessible to anyone who can get on a computer and get online to YouTube, which is basically everybody in our society. Mm-hmm. So it's making it so much more accessible. I mean, it was always accessible. People were like, oh, well, you have to go to the library and really want to find it. Okay, we well, have to go to a search engine and really want to find it. Like, right. Agreed. Agreed. I, I mean, most people aren't watching a magic show and then getting online and trying to look up every trick. I mean, most people right. don't do that. I think that's what well, magicians are afraid of. And I think it's kind of a funny fear because I'm like, then you really don't have so much experience then with the audience because people just want to like be entertained and most will go home. I mean, I would say like probably 95% are going to forget to even look it up. You well, know? Would, a follow up answer is if. If they can go on YouTube and learn your whole show, then maybe you should rethink your show. <laughs> I mean, yeah, also true. Also I mean, true. I have no, I mean, if they're, if you're like, well, they're going to learn double lift and they can learn this and this and this. Yeah, so did you, bro. Like, exactly. And, yeah, Ken and Teller teach a palm and then fool their audience with it just a little bit later in the show. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it, I think a lot of people who have problems with it debate that, oh, it's, it's so bad. It's because they're scared because their moves aren't very good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, yeah, I mean, it was really interesting. So that got like, that got kind of big on Facebook months ago where people were debating it after Chris Ramsey, I think, posted um, teaching the, um, oh, what did he teach? Uh, it's an old, old one. It's a classic. I mean, it's a classic one. I cannot remember what he taught, but like a bunch of people got all like up in arms, like you can't teach it. But it was definitely a classic, and not like some yeah, someone else's. Yeah, if you find it in the magic book from the library, then I have no problem. Right. Exactly. That's. I mean, that's kind of my thought process too. Is it's just a new medium, and it'd be silly to be like it. it it's obviously going to go there anyways. Like, we're yeah. yeah. Um. Well, and also, how awesome, uh, how awesome that if you go on Instagram and type in magic. How awesome are so many of the tricks on, on, um, well, how awesome are some of the tricks on Instagram? Some, yeah. some of them, it's a, it's a lesson without the one video lesson. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to name names, but I, there's even some, like, really awesome professional people that I, like, idolize. And, like, when I see them at a magic convention, I'm like, oh, I just want to sit and listen to you. But they're not used to YouTube magic, and you have to YouTube proof your trick. Like right. You have to watch it over and over and pause it and watch it frame by frame because that's what everybody else does. Right. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. If you put it on the... Oh, <laughs> that's very, very true. Do you do, you do YouTube magic? I do. Okay. I do. I didn't um, know that. A little bit. Not too much. Like, my YouTube magic is... I could do... Um, I could do my YouTube magic 
in my show. In fact, sometimes I do. <laughs> uh, sometimes I post a trick and I'm like, wow, that was really good. And it works its way into my show. Nice. Um, so, yeah. But I mean, I just did Cubed Candy, which got a really good response. Oh, sorry, Mini Cubed Candy. I did both. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, actually, if you look at my Instagram, you'll see me doing Cubed Candy in front of um, 3,500 people uh, in one thing. And then I do a Mini Cubed Candy, just it's a one on one shot. That, yeah, that's totally YouTube magic. Um, <laughs> and it, it looks awesome, but uh, I felt really good because uh, one of the other brothers, Daryl, commented. He said, wow, this is the best the best version of this. And my, my heart got way excited. I, I did a little happy dance. And yeah. I do, they're cool. They're cool guys. I they're enjoyed cool guys. hanging out with them at the Tricks convention. Yeah. Um, all right. So last question for you. And I'm just now incorporating this into the podcast. Ooh. that I really like, um, is, is there any question that you wished I had asked you about? Um, why I say John's my friend. That's weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, I didn't mean for it to happen, um, in my <laughs> show. Um, but I really hate it when, um, and I mean, once in a while it's really your character, that's fine, but I don't like it when magicians or any, performer beats up on an audience member or makes fun of one audience member or like brings an audience member on stage and then like totally makes fun of them the whole time mm-hmm. and even though that audience member is laughing on stage and, and everybody else is laughing that audience member goes home feeling like crap like nobody likes to be made fun of mm-hmm. um and i just i've never gotten that so i was i was trying to figure out like how can i protect my audience members and like how can i make people feel safe on my stage because for a lot of people to get up on a stage is a really scary thing. Yeah. And so I started asking people if they'd be my friend when they came up there, kind of as a way to say, no, you're my friend, don't worry. And then, like, I would even, if somebody, one of their friends would make fun of them, I would, like, get between them and their friend and be like, what? Don't mess with my friend. Hey, my friend, leave them alone. <laughs> like, I would, that's the only time I get, I get aggressive from stage is when somebody tries to make fun of somebody else on stage. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, and then that developed into me giving away stickers and the page of my friend on them. <laughs> and yeah, and a website. And the website. My wife said, my wife said, you should get a website that says johnsmyfriend.com. And I laughed and she laughed. And then the next day I came in and I said, so I got it. She said, got what? I said, johnsmyfriend.com. And she's like, you're kidding. That's so cheesy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, but it's the easiest elevator speech ever. Uh, and it is. I've gotten more gigs. In fact, I've gotten gigs friends performing and they couldn't remember who the friend was but they remembered the name of my website and <laughs> so I got the gig um, that's funny no I mean it's great it really because I think it's a part I mean it, it's probably like not your favorite part of the game is having to market yourself but I mean it's an important part and I, I think it's a great website you can't forget it and right. and it sums up kind of who you are in the show in a way like you're like oh right. this is the experience I'm getting the experience is we're going to have a good time with our friends and we're going to see some really crazy things, but we're going to, like my goal is that we're all laughing together the same way that I laugh with my friends around a table, you know, when we go out uh, and hang out, like I want that to happen. Because uh, that close up magic experience when you just, you go out with a magician and you're like, what? That's amazing. And you're laughing and you're having fun. And then he shows you something else, you're, you know, your brain melts. That's what I want uh, to be on my stage. And that's why I have a camera right there on my stage. Like, but the cameraman is just as much a part of my performance. I'm a character on my stage as I am 
Well, I love it. And I want to thank you for being my friend, John. Heck yeah. Thanks for being my friend, Chelsea. Yeah. And thanks for doing this interview with me. That's all the time we have. So appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Slighted Show. Music was brought to you by Luca Sommerfeld, a longtime listener. Thank you again, Luca, for your contribution to the podcast. That's all, folks. We'll see you next week. 